The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. If you're keeping score, it's AT&T 2, U.S. Justice Department 0. AT&T has beaten back a second government attempt to undo its purchase of Time Warner in the courts, stealing the $85 billion deal. Joining me from our D.C. studios is Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst Jennifer Ree. Jen, you predicted this. What did the <laughs> D.C. court say? You know, the D.C. court said, I think exactly as I thought and as a lot of other people thought as well, that, you know, they needed to show that there was clear error in the reasoning of Judge Richard Leon at the district court level in order to overturn his decision. And that, you know, while they may have taken issue with a few of the things he said, that in general, he just didn't rise to that high standard, that, that the outcome that he concluded was feasible, given the evidence that he um, entertained. I've talked to antitrust experts who felt that the district judge, Leon, didn't understand the economics of the government's case. Did the appeals court address that? You know, that is also what the Department of Justice argued in their appeal, that he misapplied or misunderstood the economics. And the appellate court did address that. They said that that was, that was wrong, that he looked at the economics and that he just simply decided that the model that was used, while it was fine to use the model in this case, didn't work because it just simply wasn't based on real-world data. And that if you looked at the real-world data from prior examples of vertical integration in this industry that AT&T had put into evidence, you would see that there hadn't been an effect on prices. So in other words, it was just a theoretical model that was based on inputs that the judges found were just faulty inputs, and it didn't work in this instance. How much of a loss is this for Macon Delrahim, the head of the Justice Department's antitrust division, and for the Justice Department? You know, I think it's a big loss. It could have been a bigger loss had it, let's say, put in bad precedent on vertical integration and how to judge vertical deals. It didn't do that because this was a decision based on facts and not necessarily based on how the law should be applied when evaluating vertical deals. So in one way, it was a big loss because they took a risk, and I think they were hoping for a big win. And as you said, it's two to zero. But it doesn't really hamper their ability in the future to try to challenge another vertical deal, even using the same bargaining model, the same economic analysis that they used here, because this was so fact-based and so dependent on this particular deal in this industry. This was the first time in about 40 years that the Justice Department decided to challenge a vertical merger in court. And even if there's no precedent, might they be a little gun-shy? They very well may be because it was a resounding loss in terms of the first opinion, the district court opinion, and now this opinion. 
they may be gun shy. I think that the Department of Justice has have sort of painted themselves into a corner in some respects because one of the issues with these vertical deals is that they often have pro-competitive aspects that horizontal deals don't have. And when they have some potential for harm, that harm can be fixed or remedied with behavioral conditions. And that's generally how it's been done in the past. But this Department of Justice said it doesn't like behavioral conditions and it won't use them. So what it's done, it's put in itself in a position where if it has another vertical deal, you know, it's not going to use behavioral conditions. And so it either has the choice of challenging it or allowing it to go through. Now, the government can ask the full D.C. Circuit to hear the case on bank or can ask the Supreme Court to review the case. How likely is it that they'll take either of those options? Well, the first option, the unbanked review, you know, was rarely ever granted. So it's unlikely that it will be. And the second one, I actually think that if they did go to the Supreme Court, they might get review because it is an issue. We haven't had a vertical merger in front of the Supreme Court in a long time, and we have very, very little precedent, even in lower courts and district courts and appellate courts, on how to look at and and view a vertical merger. So it might be an interesting case for the court to take. They may be willing to take it. What happens in the meantime? Because AT&T, Time Warner had some things on hold pending the end of the month. What happens? That's right. So they're keeping the Turner assets separate to allow the DOJ, if they won, to try to ask for the divestiture of those assets. And so they were keeping the eggs unscrambled. Now, at this point, on February 28th, they can go ahead and do that, even if the Department of Justice seeks further appellate review. So the Department of Justice either can stop at this point and not appeal it, and the whole thing will be over, or they can go ahead and appeal, and if they want to try to keep the Turner assets continue to keep them separate, they'll have to seek an emergency order in court to keep the parties from doing that. And they might not be able to get that, in which case AT&T will go ahead and integrate those assets, and it'll be much harder for the DOJ going forward if they want an appeal. Do you have any inkling as to whether Macon Del Rahim may feel so burned by this that he'll just go forward and, and try to take the next step with the Supreme Court? You know, I actually have the feeling that they won't appeal this. It's hard to say because this particular Department of Justice has been unpredictable and done things differently than the Department of Justice has in the past. But this was a pretty solid decision against them with a panel that really theoretically should have been leaning toward the DOJ because you had an Obama appointee and a Clinton appointee and a Reagan appointee. And I think that they're likely to lose if they go to the Supreme Court, which is now more business-friendly with the two new appointees from President Trump. And I think they know that. So it seems to me they won't appeal this decision. Although President Trump said (laughs) time and time again that he didn't want this to go through. There was that political aspect to this. That's right, he did. But, you know, the question is, was that based on antitrust principles or was it based on dislike for CNN and the kind of content (laughs) that Time Warner produces? You know, if it's based on the content, you know, you need an antitrust reason within the law for this merger to be blocked for the courts to rule that way. Also, in this case, the circuit court considers what the judge had before him, so they're not considering what happened since the merger. But has anything happened in the market? And I'm thinking about the Dish Network dispute that led to HBO going dark for the first time on a paid TV provider. Did that show an anti-competitive effect of this merger? 
Well, no, I think it's two different situations and different facts. Um, you ask AT&T, they'll tell you that even that the small amount of Time Warner that they've been able to integrate, they've already shown pro-competitive effects here and benefits to consumers. I think it's just two very different situations. And not to mention the fact that, you know, you put your finger on it when you said that the appellate court really could only consider what was presented to the district court in evidence prior, and that was all they could consider. So they can't think about what AT&T is doing now or even what's going on with DISH. All right. Thanks so much, Jen. I'm still waiting for HBO to uh, be cheaper, but I don't know when <laughs> that will happen. That's Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst Jennifer Ray. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.